Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is sponsored by Heartless by Marissa Meyer. Long before she was the terror of Wonderland, she was just a girl who wanted to fall in love. Catherine is one of the most desired girls in Wonderland and a favorite of the unmarried King of Hearts, but her interests lie elsewhere. When Kath meets Jest, the handsome and mysterious court joker, she feels the pull of true attraction for the first time. Risking everything, they enter into an intense secret courtship. Kath is determined to defy her destiny and fall in love on her own terms. But in a land thriving with magic, madness, and monsters, fate has other plans. Check out Heartless by Marissa Meyer wherever books are sold or search for a link in our show notes. Welcome to a special edition of the Book Riot podcast. Jeff and I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that we were bringing back our freestyle book club idea, The Riot Read, and our first selection is Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho. Uh, It was one of Book Riot's favorite books of the year in 2015. We are so excited that it's out in paperback now and more people can read it. And it was also featured in our September book mailbox, uh, along with a couple... uh, amazing items, another awesome book that features magic and myth. And we do have some extras of those. So if you want to catch up, you can go to the Book Riot store, still get your book mailbox and hang out with all of us and you know get the awesome goodies. We are so excited uh, to have with us today Zen Cho. Uh, Amanda is here with me. We thought it would be more fun if it was a girl party. Today. <laughs> uh, so Amanda's here with me. Uh, you all know her. And we're going to talk uh, with Zen about sort to the crown and about fantasy and about who knows what else. So thank you so much for joining us, Zen. Thanks for having me. I guess uh, we'll jump right in. The thing that really stood out to me when I read your book last year was how it seemed to be a a big response to some longstanding issues uh, in fantasy writing uh, regarding sexism, regarding racial inclusivity. Um, But it does that without feeling too pointedly political. You tell this story in this beautifully diverse world, and there are some really feminist moments. And I wondered if you could talk to us a little bit about sort of the inception of the story, where your desire to tell this story came from, and how you uh, approached uh, addressing those issues as you wrote. Yeah, I think um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because um, someone said to me once that you could essentially read the book as a, as a metaphor for the... Um, how do I put it, like the, the kind of battles in science fiction fantasy at the moment, you know, with the kind of puppies taking over the Hugo Awards and that sort of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you could, but um, my my sort of, my impetus for writing it and, and sort of doing it is is really, um, it kind of goes back, it's, it's not really related to that stuff. It's, it's kind of, um, except insofar as, you know, the, the kind of continual, continuing resistance to the the hierarchy is sort of related <laughs> you know it, it's all interrelated but um it really just came from the impulse to um place i guess um people of color in the center of book the kinds of books that i grew up reading um and then you know um i i guess what it comes from is that i have, I have so many friends who are really you know really woke and really really <laughs> you know 
Um, you know, it sounds really stupid in my accent. <laughs> but really, you know, really kind of switched on politically and, you know, really want to um, be reading kind of diverse fiction and be really, um, you know, kind of pushing back against um, dominant culture and that's, and so on. And and yet when they get a cold, right, um, and this I do this as well, you get a cold, you feel kind of crummy, um, then what you do is just like have a lot of soup and then read a lot a lot of Georgette Hairs, right? <laughs> yes, that <laughs> I mean, is so real. <laughs> <laughs> right and just like reading like all these romance novels that are like really shaped our taste i guess you know you, you come to it fairly young so i read you know i read georgette Hare growing up i read jane austen i read all these things um growing up in malaysia and I, I i just wanted to write that kind of book and that kind of experience where you you just open the book and you're like huh you know um and but but also have it be about um the kind of characters you don't usually see in those books, or if you do see them, they're they're very much in the margins, or they're stereotyped, or you know. And I, and I think just by the nature of saying, okay, this book is going to be about a black man, um, and he will be the center of this. You know, his, his story is going to be the center, and um, and then Prunella as well, who's obviously this mixed race woman. Um, just doing that affects the story, and you start to think, well, what sort of challenges will he be facing, and uh, what happens? Um, so so I think. Um, Hopefully the reason, I, I, you know, I hope it's not preachy and I, hopefully the reason for that is because really my purpose was like, okay, I'll just have like, I'll just have like a non-white person in the center, um, but then everything else will be the same. Or like, you know, you still have the hijinks, you still have the kind of thing that like when you've got a cold is the kind of one thing you want to read. Yeah, I was wondering, like, um, it felt very much to me like a reclaiming of that kind of Dickensian Victoriana sort of thing, because that's what I read when I'm <laughs> I like reread a Christmas Carol over and over like a dork. Um, I'm a nerd, but uh, yeah, it felt like a reclaiming of that for the people who, especially in Dickens, you know, never get their stories told or are told in like horrible, <laughs> incorrect ways. Um, so I really appreciated that about the book, like the centering of people who are never centered in historical fiction and very rarely in fantasy. Um, yeah, I think, <laughs> as a non-white writer, you can kind of contribute. Is that like I, I think like um, a lot of white writers now are trying to be, um, you know, like more diverse and, and include characters. But you know, and I, I experience this as well when I'm trying to write outside my culture. You you're like you're hesitant to have the thing that you're not you're not knowledgeable about be the really kind of the the viewpoint. So so you know you might have like a, a best friend who's like. Um, you know, kind of of a more kind of marginalized identity, whatever. But the the main character is still white, and um, you know, and, and that's kind of more comfortable to to do. And I, I think one thing you can kind of do as a, you know, I'm not I'm not a black man living in Regency London, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I guess you know, having kind of experienced um, racism myself, you, one thing you can kind of do is be like, well, actually, let's, let's just like center that that perspective and see what happens. I, I was thinking about how so often when we see critiques of whitewashed fantasy and science fiction in particular, people are like the, the defenders of the whatever the whitewashed work is. And I think we've seen it happen uh, with like Game of Thrones and uh, some other you know big pieces of sci-fi fantasy pop culture. The defenders say like, well, they're just being historically accurate uh, mm -hmm. and or like the books are filled with rape. And well, it's just being historically accurate. And then the response comes of like, well, you can believe in 
dragons, which are not historically accurate, but you can't believe that there would be a person of color in this imaginary world. Um, have you encountered any, I guess, resistance or surprise or misconceptions about the way that you're telling this story uh, in sci-fi fantasy, which has been so fraught with uh, sort of the def- the people that are trying to defend the castle of like, no, this world can and should be white for reasons? No, I haven't. I have to say, I haven't. Um, I haven't encountered that particular response um, at all. And uh, you know, I I don't really know why that is. Maybe people who think that way just wouldn't pick up the book. It's, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's just too unrealistic. I can't read it. Um, yeah, um, I haven't. I haven't encountered that. One thing I do encounter, actually, which is interesting, um, because. Um, Sorcerer's Crown, in the way, is in a way, is not my first kind of attempt um, at, at something like this. So I, I wrote an earlier kind of self-published novella, which is just like romance; it's not speculative. Um, set in like the 1920s, and it's about this Malayan Chinese woman who's living in London, um, and uh, and you know, and she writes like a bad review of this um, kind of literary. Uh, leading man's like book and then they they kind of like and then they make out basically (laughs) (laughs) i think i've had dreams like this (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah i've had reviewers say that's not what usually happens when you write about (laughs) somebody's book um but um and and i got like a response i got to that and again that was meant to be very fluffy and very you know it was like a like a nice little romance um the response I got to that and to Sorcerer of the Crown was actually like, oh, in real life, like their lives would be much worse. Like the racism they faced would have been worse. Mm. Um, you know, and, and that was kind of critique of that. I guess that's kind of critical. Um, and I just wonder, I, you know, I wonder if that's true. Like, you know, people were living in, like, you know, you did have um, Malayan people coming to London to study in, in the 1920s. You, you know, people were living in, you know, black people were living in London at, at uh, in Regency period. So, yeah, and, and obviously some of them really had shit lives and some of them had, you know, okay lives. Um, and, and I'm sure, like, on a day-to-day basis, they would have faced more uh, overt racial abuse, you know, on a day um, than, than, than now. But, you know, I, I kind of wonder if it's true that actually need it, it would actually have been that much worse. And, um, and But, you know, it just relates to the nature of, of both stories. Like, I really wanted them to be essentially comfort reads. And so I wasn't going to have, like, a scene where they're all like chased by like you know and, and like had had apples thrown at them for the you know for <laughs> skin color or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the, same, at the same time, I do I do kind of think well you know you know there's a kind of perception that maybe like if you're not white and you're living in a certain era, then your life has to be unrelenting misery. And I think that's almost that's quite flattening. You know, I don't know if that's true. Yeah, that's really that's really interesting. I was thinking about how Prunella gets to be um, Zacharias's equal in this story. Mm-hmm. And right. and that I don't know much about the actual lives of women in the time period that you're writing about to know if they would be better or worse. But it seems remarkable to me that she gets to be an equal and not a sidekick. Um, and that we, I know Amanda and I, as we were both reading it, we're like, ah, oh, this is just, it's just so feminist in the best way yes. that it just assumes, the work just assumes that, of course, a woman who has these powers would be an equal to a male sorcerer. Um, she's not supporting him. She's not like his helper. Um, but they get to be equals. And it it should not be revolutionary, but it felt very revolutionary in the reading to finally encounter that uh, in a work of 
a fantasy of what you've been doing. And I know that uh, we want to, we're going to have some spoilers now, listeners. So if you you have not, but um, Amanda in particular uh, has some questions. We loved the surprise about how magical Prunella's period is Mm -hmm. in the book. And we were wondering if, if you could talk to us a little bit about how you got there um, using women's bodies as a a source of literal nourishment and magic in your work? Gosh, well, um, the the whole, so in the books, um, for for people who haven't uh, read it, in the books, um, uh, you have um, magicians, but you can kind of um, level up in your magic if you have a familiar, which is like a magical creature who will agree to kind of, um, you know, be bonded with you and basically like help you do magic for the rest of your life. Um, and um, one way, I mean, the way of um, like cementing that bond is to feed uh, the familiar your your blood. Um, and so and so the, the scene being referred to, you know, has Penella using her um, menstrual blood and um the, the idea of like having a spirit in uh, servitude to you and and you feed it blood is is one that's actually quite common i think um i like in, in like southeast asian folklore for example you get quite a bit of it um you you know there's, there's not so much on like menstrual blood <laughs> i guess um one one thing I can't, and I can't even remember where the the idea came from anymore, but it was just like, well, you know, what advantage would you have, um, you know, as a woman, like, I I guess, you know, doing magic. Um, And and I suppose one of the things about, you know, we're talking about Penella being equal to Zacharias because she's got got these kind of magical powers. Um, But I mean, in that society, Penella kind of comes comes in uh, below Zachary. She's got a couple of like handicaps, as it were, because he's he's like he is a black man, but he's like he's well off. He's um, he's male. Um, mm. Whereas like and he's got like a like an important like title. Whereas like Prunella at the beginning of the book, she's um, you know she has no family, she has no money. Um, she's essentially living um, on on charity as a kind of semi servant at the, at the school, um, and so she she kind of comes in below. And I guess one thing one way to kind of equalize that to say is like, to say okay, she's got some kind of particularly like effective form of access to magic um you know which which helps kind of equalize the position um and um so so she has these um familiars that she inherits from her parents but then also being able to to get them to to function i guess um and you you sort of think well you know you're gonna go with blood like women obviously have this kind of like um particularly regular source of blood (laughs) (laughs) and um and I suppose that that's kind of where it came from, and I, I, I like that. I I like the kind of shock factor of it, and that you know, um, well, periods are something are something that you don't really read about in fiction. Full stop. Like, um, mm-hmm. right, yeah, you know, particularly not this kind of regency setting where everything is very proper and you know pinned up, <laughs> and, and, and um, yeah. So yeah, so that's kind of where it came from. I think it was so revealing to me that it surprised me and like I consider myself to be very woke and like very feminist and it never occurred to me that that's where like a woman would get a source of like steady blood obviously it is um but we've we've actually had like posts on the site on book right about why aren't there more periods in fiction um especially since or in like in YA especially or like in romance where women are doing the majority of the writing now um why isn't that ever mentioned much less made like central to the plot line. So I thought that was really interesting. And it's kind of a thing that's like happening in fantasy right now, you know, uh, like Cindy Pond did interesting things with periods in her YA fantasy novel Serpentine. And even, 
even like George R. R. Martin, bless his heart, um, gave us a little bit of like a breastfeeding the dragons thing in uh, <laughs> in Game of Thrones. So yeah. uh, I think like like women and like their natural their bodies and the power that the, and and magic essentially that comes along with being a woman and having a body like that is is a thing that's happening. It's having a moment. And I wanted yeah. to have a moment. Yeah, um, I guess I guess it's a bit. I guess it's a bit gross. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I, like the like an earlier version of the scene was actually a bit more explicit about the whole like blood and stuff. Like, um, and then like my editor was like, it's a "Bit gross, you know. Maybe read that in." <laughs> <laughs> it was there were like we should have taken screenshots if we had known a year ago that this that we would be having this conversation with you but there were like text messages flying between all of us who were reading the book at the same time of like have you gotten to that scene yet like that big <laughs> reveal it's so great and it is this it felt like this reclaiming of a thing about women's bodies that's historically thrown up as like women can't hold office they can't lead they shouldn't be in charge because they have these periods and they make them crazy and they make them weak and it it felt uh, as a reader to me like kind of a middle finger to all of that of like, well, no, it can make you powerful. You can feed your familiars. Um, so this is the first book in a series, and we were all very excited to find out that there were going to be more of them. Are, are you willing to give us any hints about what will be happening for Prunella and Zacharias next? Um, I would be willing if I had a better idea. <laughs> I've been um, I've I've been working on the book, but um, I've I've sort of been um, like t- testing out various directions. Um, you know, definitely, um, Prinal and Zacharias are going to be um, like substantial parts of the next book. I think it will probably focus on a couple of new characters more. Mm. Um, but yeah, um, you'll get to see them again. You get to see. Um, I'm quite excited about writing certain scenes where you kind of learn more a bit more about the, like some of the supporting characters in the first book, like Damrol and Rollo. Um, yeah, so uh, can't can't say too much, I'm afraid. Uh, that was I, that's the only question I have written down in capital letters. Hints about the next book. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us all your secrets. <laughs> um, one of the qu- things that we've been hearing from readers uh, that's a question I don't fully know how to answer is. What are good read-alikes? Um, someone who loves your book, do you have, uh, are there books that inspired you along the way here or books that you've come across as Sorcerer to the Crown has gone out into the world that you recommend for us while we're waiting for the next one? Well, I, you know, as I, as I said, they, they were heavily inspired by Georgette Harris novels, which I think anyone who's read Georgette Harris and this book will, will recognize. Um and like I, I still love Jordan Harris book, and I, I still kind of go back to them when I've got I've got that cold, you know, <laughs> I'm in my bed feeling really sorry for myself. Um, one one kind of thing like book that people compare it to um, is Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by mm-hmm. Susanna Clarke. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I like I love that book. Um, you know, I can't say whether it's it's very much like, but again, it's kind of set in the Regency period. You've got magic. You know, there's a kind of consciousness of how like race and class and gender operate. Um, so uh, that's a great book, and I can't recommend it enough. Um, in terms of like other, um, you know, book likes, I, I don't really, um, I can't really think. I guess um, the standard um, books that I always recommend are like I really love like um, Karen Lord's uh, books. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, she writes science fiction, and fantasy, and Redemption and Indigo has that kind of like light. You know, fairly light touch is quite humorous um, and um, like is a really fun read. All right. Well, I think that's a great note to 
end on. Uh, listeners, we hope we haven't spoiled too much for you. I hope that you have read the Riot Read uh, a selection of Sorcerer to the Crown and that you have been loving it. Again, if you want to pick up the book mailbox, we have some extras. You can go to store.bookriot.com. You'll get Sorcerer to the Crown, a special extra awesome thing that is a surprise that Zen created uh, just for the recipients of the book mailbox. It also features The Daughters by Adrian Kelt and some other awesome bookish items to rock your book life. So that's store.bookriot.com. Zen, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, where can folks who are listening to the show and want to find you online go to do that? So I'm, um, I've got a website at zencho.org um, and I'm on Twitter and Facebook as Zenaldehyde. That's Zen and then A-L-D-E-H-Y-D-E because aldehydes are like carbon, hydrogen and oxygen. Oh, I'm so glad that you said that because I was about to ask, like, what is the origin of your Twitter handle? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, chemistry classes. (laughs) Oh, wonderful. Thank you again so much for joining us and for having your book be our inaugural Riot Read selection. We couldn't have been happier to talk with you today. Thank you so much. It was super fun. 